Yeah, there's a lot of people who really underperform. One thing I will say, though, about that Eagles backfield, I I had two hot takes coming into the year. One, I thought that Rashad Penny was going to be the workhorse. Did not happen. Two, I said that I think Kenneth Gainwell might actually end up being the one on this team. That does look like it may come to fruition. We like Kenneth Gainwell, even though the Eagles play Thursday night by the time you guys hear this podcast. Yeah, and he has some things going on right now. Heard he didn't practice the last two days. How you feeling about him? It's not obviously the most... Uh, it's not favorable. I mean, especially with the sheer fact that they have the depth that they do at running back. I could definitely see uh, Kenneth Gainwell possibly getting the, getting the sit this week and them possibly bringing you know, Rashad Penny up. You know, from the whatever roster it is, like just not dressing whatever it is. You all you all saw the reports the guy didn't dress. Mm-hmm. But they could just bring that guy up and dress him. And, you know, like if they just sat kind of game well because they have so much faith in him that he'll be okay after a week, I think he might be all right. Okay. So it just kind of depends. I mean, so if you guys are looking for like a spot start this Thursday, if you guys are just absolutely needing some Eagles stock in that running or in the backfield. I think that Rashad Petty might be able to do it for you. I just right now, like it's just so this, I it's concerning just because I did not expect at all for Rashad Petty to get, you know, to not fucking play this first week. Like that was the last thing on my radar. Healthy scratch. I just understand why you scratch like that. I really don't. So that's where I'm at mentally. So if you really liked DeAndre Swift coming into the season, if you really liked Kenneth Gainwell, if you really liked Rashad Penny like I did, and you see that Kenneth Gainwell is not going to be active that Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, I definitely think that Rashad Penny might be a possible spot start if you need him. Question for you. So I guess we can kind of start to roll our way into the waiver wire pickups for this week. Yeah. We're going to be diving deep a little bit because, I mean, we lost some key players. I mean, we lost people. Already week one. Aaron Rodgers, what the hell with that? Goddamn. Yeah, that's that's pretty far. I mean, how many a couple weeks now because of this? I mean. A lot. There's also because they're getting some soft tissue injuries and stuff like that. Seems like a shit ton of hammies pulled up. A lot of hammies. A lot of hammies, dude. I'm so pissed about Greg Dolchich. I can't believe he's already out again with that same hamstring. Same hamstring as last year. You know what? And I actually want to talk about Dolchich, but bringing it back to Kenneth Gainwell. Yeah. In terms of free agency and waiver wire pickups and spending money and spending fab, if you guys play in fab leagues, are you spending money on Kenneth Gainwell even though he's going into week two with a potential rib injury? And if he's not owned in your league, so right now I'm not sure exactly where he is at as far as his own percentage. Um, but you know, right now I think he's a so I just pulled up on sleeper. If you guys aren't utilizing sleeper, I suggest utilizing it because you get information just like that. Just like that. Owned in thirty six percent of leagues. Okay. Started in three percent. The guy just got you eleven point four. Most leagues I would say probably give you an IR slot. So even if you drop that 16th round pick that you picked up for no fucking reason and you're able to throw a little bit of fab at Kenneth Gainwell and just 
put them in your IR for whatever, if it's a week, two weeks, whatever it may be, and you're able to pick up some other scrub again just to fill up your lineup, I would definitely recommend that if you have the opportunity to. I just feel like Kenneth Gainwell has the opportunity, like I said, at the beginning of the year to be the one in this bitch. And he showed it week one. Nick, Nick Sirianni told us this coming into the week, and we all kind of doubted it. It came to fruition, folks. One thing I always believe is the coach, when he says that he has a one on his team, he personally said he liked Kenneth Gainwell. I'm going to ride with Kenneth Gainwell. I like Kenneth Gainwell a lot. Uh, back in week one, you know, this past week versus the Patriots, Gainwell turned basically a 62% snap share. Uh, he converted that into 18 touches for 74 yards from, you know, the line of scrimmage. Now, in comparison, DeAndre Swift during that game against the Patriots defense, which is notoriously great. You know, DeAndre Swift only played 28% of snaps. Boston Scott, I think, had 13%. And, you know, Penny was a healthy scratch. So the reason I like Gainwell a lot. Well, okay. look between the two. I had noticed between just Kenneth Gainwell compared to uh, DeAndre Swift. I believe DeAndre Swift had like seven touches or something like that. And I believe he averaged like two yards a carry. And I mean, it's not much, but like when you look at uh, Kenneth Gainwell, when you look at all this stuff, when it's said and done, I think the guy was averaging around five touches when you uh, put in his uh, touches uh, with his receptions as well. So like it's just the sheer fact that they're utilizing him in more ways is what I what I like more about him because I mean I feel like DeAndre Swift was only getting touches in the backfield rather than PPR. So DeAndre Swift actually only had three touches last week. Uh, he had one touch in the Russian attack and he had two targets um, in the reception game. Technically, he actually only had two touches. Interesting. <laughs> So here's my thing, because we talked about DeAndre Swift and the Eagles prior to the season a couple weeks ago. If you guys are faithful listeners, you heard us talk about the Eagles backfield. And one person that I was pretty high on was DeAndre Swift. But, uh, he is, um, dude, he's ultra talented and he, he has like great hands for catching passes. But Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense is not notorious for passing in the backfield. So Kenneth Gainwell is important to keep an eye on because in the Super Bowl, I mean, he saw the majority of touches for the running backs. That's the biggest fucking game of anybody's career on that Eagles roster. And they gave the rock to Kenneth Gainwell. That means something. I don't care what nobody says. That means something. And Gainwell was someone in which they trusted. They gave him a lot of touches. And coming into the season against the notoriously tough Bill Belichick defense, my boy Kenny got even more touches. So that, by and large, tells me that they like Kenneth Gainwell moving forward. He's someone that you should trust. If you did not draft him and if he is available this week, you probably have a tough decision to make because not only is Kenneth Gainwell potentially available in your leagues, but you also might have a guy like Kyron Williams. uh, Oh, my. The Rams running back, dude. He had a fucking incredible week. Hop off to the Rams. Let's do it. A couple of players. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you think that this is just like that week one pop off where like just miracles happen? People are just you know like not studied. People are just not ready, and so they come into the year and they're just like, oh, I don't, I forgot how to play football. Or do you think that 
the Rams, who just ran through the Seattle Seahawks defense, who was, I think, a top 10 defense last year. Do you think that this offense is for real and that we have some sleepers in this offense? I think Cam Makers has to garner a little bit more respect than we're giving him. Okay. Why do you think that? So compared to Kyron Williams, who had 15 touches on the ground in the rushing attack, and I believe he might have had maybe two receptions last week in week one, Cam Akers did have 22 touches on the ground in the rushing attack. So he basically had seven more rush attempts than Kyron Williams. But Bro just wasn't good. He had 22 rush attempts for only 29 yards. My guy Cam Akers averaged 1.3 yards per carry. That's fucking terrible. Dude, I could do that. I might actually outproduce Cam Akers. You give me 23 rushes in a, in a, in a football game. Yeah. I might not last through five, but God damn it. If I get to 23, I'm getting more than 23 yards on the ground. So, like, Cam Akers is somebody who's just notoriously, he's had a rocky relationship with right. Sean McVay. Right. I do think they continue to give this guy touches because this offense is young. They have a lot of young guys, and I think their whole identity is being a young offensive team led by the vet Matt Stafford. Though, like, if you want to go with youth, like, why wouldn't you go with Tyron Williams? Exactly. And, and, I'm sorry, but, like, if I'm going to talk from, like, just a fantasy standpoint, when I watched this guy when he was at Notre Dame, I believe that's where he was at, Notre Dame, okay. this guy was a PPR machine. Mm-hmm. Big and, so, and so, at the end of the day, like, I just don't understand why you'd want to throw all that stock in the Cam Akers, who, I mean, yes, if you look at the the whole picture, Cam Akers, former, what, second-round pick. Uh, he was... Went out of Florida? Yeah, he came, or Florida State, at least. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did, he did a lot of really good things, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, like, he hasn't done anything for me lately. And when I'm looking at Kyron Williams, I think he got just about the same amount of snap share, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And what he did with it was much more efficient. I think just to cut straight to it and just to, you know, cut beyond the bullshit, Kyron Williams was just the better back, man. Well, I mean, he's Cam Akers in his first or second year of his career, I would say he's probably a better back than what Kyron Williams is now. Mm -hmm. But if we're just talking straight facts right now, folks, I I think you're right, Jahaya. I think that Kyron Williams might be just the better back at this point. These guys are the same height. I think Cam Makers might have a couple extra pounds on Kyron Williams. But relatively speaking, I mean, Kyron Williams only has one year of experience. Isn't that crazy? I feel like coming out of the draft last year when Kyron Williams was coming out, all we were talking about was his height and everything, right? A little bit. Size. And then we talk about this Cam Akers guy who was a second-round fucking pick. Mm-hmm. Second-round pick. Yeah. And... and- I actually did pull up their actual metrics and Cam Makers 5'10, 217, and Kyron's 5'9, 194. Still, like. Man, Kyron had two touchdowns on the ground in week one, and Cam had zero for 20 something yards against the exact same defense. Stock in the Rams' offense. When I know that their number one target is out, I'm going to be looking for the hot hand. So if I'm able to get my hands on Kyron Williams, I think I might have to. I might have to spend some fab on that and just hope to God that 
at least if I pick that guy up, at least my opponent doesn't that weekend. If he scores a touchdown, I don't at least get burnt on that. He's a nice deep bench add. Like, He's a good champ, but at the yeah. end of the day, he can cons- consistently score touchdowns the way he is. Mm-hmm. He could just work his way up into Jamal Williams territory from last year. Kyron Williams? If he's going to score those short touchdowns the way that he did this past week, he could definitely walk his way into that. I'm not saying that he's the same sort of back or anything. Don't get me wrong. But the sheer fact that he was able to produce in those short area situations the same way, why wouldn't we be talking about him in that same sort of fashion? Yeah, I like Kyron as more of like the explosive option. Well, I just think he's going to be able to get you. I just think he's going to be the vulture on that team. If I'm going to be looking at two of those running backs. Mm-hmm. I just feel like at that point, like, obviously, they have more trust in one guy and red zone threat, short area, you know, efficiency. They, uh, I mean, Cam Akers obviously got his as well. Don't get me wrong. But I just feel like the sheer fact that that guy, that Kyron Williams was able to get two, I think that going into this next week, that's going to speak volumes for that team. I like Kyron Williams because I think he's a great pass catching back. And I know y'all probably could give two fucks about Kyron Williams, but hey, I, he's a pass catching back who I think could dominate third down touches in that offense. Because I just didn't really trust in this kid. Mm-hmm. But when he was able to produce on Sunday, it really made me surprised just because, like I said, folks, like that, that Seahawks defense from last year was crazy. And the sheer fact that they were able to do the work that they were able to do I mean, at least right now where I haven't seen any other work against them to that extent, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted because, I mean, this was a team that would hold the 49ers down. This was a team that would hold the fucking Chargers down if needed to. So the sheer fact that they, you know, were pretty much manhandled by the Rams who, I mean, they're led by a bunch of one and two year, you know, backs and receivers. I know there's a receiver on that team that you absolutely love, Jahai. You want to talk about them for a little bit? I definitely will. And if you guys do plan a fab system, just to kind of give you my insight, I'd feel comfortable spending maybe 5 to 10% fab on Kyron Williams moving forward. So you pay a good 10 spot on, is all right? If you got $100 fab, I'm cool spending 5 to 10 bucks to go get Kyron this week. Especially if I have an opponent, especially if I have an opponent who is running back needy and that I think could possibly snag that guy, I'm absolutely looking to fucking snag him. So at least, if anything, hold him for a week and then trade him. Do whatever you want, guys. Get a trade piece down the line eventually he definitely for you, could maybe. Vulture those touchdowns. Why aren't we talking about him like Jamal Williams? Obviously, this is the first week. That might be a hot take. That might be, you know, like, it could be the same shit with uh, Justice uh, Hill where, you know, he scores two tutties and never gets a touch again the rest of the year. Who knows? But right now, I mean, we got to look at the stats that we have. And right now, I I definitely would put 5-10 fab into Kyron Williams. I agree 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I want to talk about the superstar from fantasy football this past weekend. I want to talk about a guy who has not received not any hype. Super... He's, the... He's the guy. He's, He's the fucking guy. From I'm... So He's, He's the guy. This... He's... He's... He is a receiver. He's... He's... He was Are a superstar. Are you going to 
I'm not talking about Tyreek, who's also a superstar. I'm not talking about Brandon Ayuk, who's also a superstar. And I'm not even talking about any of the other guys who performed last week. I'm talking about goddamn Puka Nakua. Puka Puka. Puka Nakua is a fucking dog, guys. And I am here to tell you that. Puka Nakua went out there and had 15 targets this week. Comparable to a Tutu Atwell, who also saw a shit ton of targets last week. But Puka Nakua, Puka Puka, has the potential to go ahead and be a league winner for you. And I'm fucking stamping it. My name is Ja from Fantasy Football with Gumbo, and I'm telling you that Puka Nakua has upside. Dugo, Puka Nakua saw 15 targets this past week, and Puka Nakua served looks. Yeah, I won't lie. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. Me and Dugo play in multiple leagues with each other, and he was indeed hating. No, that he was going to see uh, 15 targets. I thought... Oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah. I saw, you know, eight, nine targets. I could fathom them. But 15 targets and 15 catches? Uh, yeah, that that might do it. That I'm might cool. do it. Average 10 plus per. Oh, yeah. Easy. I, yeah. Feel like if you Sean just the hot hand. Yep. This guy going the next few weeks. And I think if you have any sort of fab available, which I'm sorry guys, it's the start of the fucking year. Obviously you do. You could probably be throwing more than just ten percent. You could twenty, thirty percent if you actually receiver on this Guys When Jahia said that this guy could be a league winner, I mean, just from a volume standpoint, I don't see how you don't think that as well. I mean, if you play in PPR leagues, half PPR leagues, this guy has that skill point to be able to do so. I mean, he's a 6'2 receiver who's going up, grabbing catches that are pretty much always behind the first down point, which means you're getting pretty much 10 each catch. And then he gets a little bit of fucking yak on that get a couple more yards. I, I just don't understand why not. I don't understand why not. If you don't believe in Puka Nakua, I'm going to explain to you why you need to. Puka Nakua saw a 40% target share last week, which is fucking insane. The dude saw almost 50% of the targets coming out of Matt Stafford's hands. Puka Nakua plays in a Sean McVay offense that prioritizes bunch and tight formations for their wide receivers. So if you guys don't already know, bunch and tight formations for receivers means that there's three guys all within fucking 50 feet of each other and they're releasing off the line of scrimmage around the same time. That makes it virtually impossible for DBs to press up on those receivers because by accident they will pick each other, right? You can't have three fucking DBs shoulder to shoulder playing press coverage against three guys on the offense who are all running different routes. So what happens in the Sean McVay offense is that he runs a lot of bunch and tight formations for his receivers, which allows for free releases off the line of scrimmage. So once again, those DBs will not press, which means by default, they have to play zone coverage. And when you play zone coverage, you leave gaps open. And this is where Matt Stafford, a veteran quarterback, can thrive because he can find his wide receivers in the gaps of zone coverage. And this is also where a Cooper Cup thrives because he has amazing chemistry with Matt Stafford and he eats within that scheme. So Cooper Cup, if you guys haven't watched Cooper Cup like intensely, 
basically will find the gaps within coverages, within zone coverages. He'll hit you underneath. He'll find the open spot. He catches the ball, and then he becomes a yak monster. So, obviously, speaking about Puka Cup, and, you know, we talked about Puka Nakua, obviously, getting a, a large uh, snap share this past week. You know, obviously we know that Cooper Cup's probably going to be out four or five, maybe so weeks. At least until week five. At least a few weeks. So I guess, like, obviously we say that he could be a league winner. But to what extent do you think that he's going to continue getting this sort of snap share? And, like, how can we expect this to go downhill, you know, when a Cooper Cup comes back and wants to be that RB or, yeah, uh, wide receiver one again? Yeah, so I think a lot of what we forget with this offense is the role that Odell Beckham Jr. played when he was a part of this Super Bowl winning offense at the time he was with the Rams. And Odell Beckham Jr. was also another intermediate threat, right? So it was Cooper Cup serving in the middle. It was Odell also serving up the middle with the occasional deep threat potential. And then it was Van Jefferson, you know what I'm saying, like catching deep balls. And so I think that Cooper Cup can serve that Cooper Cup role. But Puka Nakua, after he gets done with his Cooper Cup impression, can go ahead and serve as an Odell Beckham Jr. impression. So he may see fewer opportunities and he may see fewer targets and fewer catches when Cooper Cup becomes available. But because the defense is not only focused on Cooper Cup, uh, Puka Nakua is also a very viable deep threat. If you watch him at BYU, you know that he caught a lot of deep balls and deep passes. Puka's a versatile guy who can serve you well in the intermediate or long game. And I still think that even if he sees a 30 to 40% regression in targets, so let's say, you know, week one, he saw 15 targets and week two, maybe he sees 12. Even if you take away 30% of that and he only sees, I don't know, fucking eight or nine targets a game, he has that explosion to go ahead and create a big play down the field. And he also has the ability with his yak potential to catch five, six, seven catches and still go out there and get you 60 to 70 to 80 yards. Haven't seen yet is him utilizing those possession abilities for a touchdown. Yeah. Like we've seen him get all those really strong handed catches in the middle of the field, on the outside of the field, you know, when it's down in distance, but we haven't seen him go out into the touch or go into the end zone and make those catches that, which is definitely a strong possibility, yes. especially when you bring in someone like a Cooper Cupper you know what who have you guys this run game between kyron williams and cam Akers is a toss-up and it's not strong i i wouldn't even i'd probably lean kyron as well but this run game regardless of who you choose is not a top half of the league run game or rushing attack so i mean they're gonna have to move the ball with short and intermediate passes to substitute the run game and for the next three weeks while Cooper Cup's out, you need to at least just make the playoffs before you can talk about a championship. And I think Puka Nakua can really help you within the next, you know, month of fantasy football secure wins. And he's a great value add. And I think he still has value, even when Cooper Cup returns, whenever that might be. Cooper Cup potentially might be dealing with a nerve issue. We don't really know the extent of his injury. We just know he's on IR, and that means at minimum he'll miss the next three games. But Puka Nakua, man, he's gone out there and shown you everything he needs to show you. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking overthink 15 targets, dude. That's not normal. Right. I mean, the last time some someone deal with a nerve injury in the NFL, I believe it was, uh, I forget his name. He He's uh, on the Colts right now, though. He's the outside linebacker. Um, it's not good in a physical sport in which no, you can but- 
much. I mean, it's the most messenger I feel like you could possibly imagine for an because I mean it just deals with every sort of facet of your body. So I mean, like it's not the greatest thing in the world. I mean, hopefully, if it is that, and if he needs surgery, he's able to come back and make a full return. But yeah, I think right now Puka Nakua is definitely a strong suit for having, you know, the strong hand on that wide receiver one room. I like Tutu Atwell as well for maybe a little less fab. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but when it comes to receivers, those are guys that I like, and I also like Calvin Austin out of Pittsburgh, Dugo. Okay. So Deontay Johnson is probably set to miss the next few weeks um, due to injury, and the remaining receivers left on that team, at least in the starting lineup, are going to be Allen Robinson and George Pickens. Like, who I feel like popped off this weekend and no one really gave a shit about. He didn't necessarily pop off, so don't get me wrong. But I feel like Curtis Samuel definitely outperformed anyone's sort of expectations. And no one really talked about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but I talked about this guy at the end of the year when I'm talking about people that you can get at the end of the draft or very little uh, draft room or draft cap, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The guy ended up getting, you know, six I'm sorry, five uh, catches this week, five for five for 54 yards, and he also had one carry. Team high in receiving yards. So I just, I'm, like, I'm not trying to call the future or anything, but the sheer fact that you're able to get someone like that who's able to dual threat it nonetheless, mm-hmm. I'm talking about someone who's able to run the ball, someone that Eric Yenemy just got ripped apart being done to him from Debo Samuel and... Christian McCaffrey how many times and now he actually has someone who can do that same thing and he's not going to utilize him mm-hmm. I just feel like this is only the start I feel like this is only the start for Curtis Samuel and I think that sure he might not end up being you know as great as Terry McLaurin as a true receiver or anything but I think that he has that uh versatility and I don't want to be that guy but kind of just you know the lack of cap to where like no cap <laughs> not like a huge cap number like Terry McLaurin is so don't so they don't have the reservations that you know like comes to it when you're trying to run a receiver or anything yeah you know like so he just has that little bit of versatility that you know doesn't doesn't come with you know losing 20 million dollars if the guy goes out on one play see like I like a Curtis Samuel and I like a Calvin Austin because they're both explosive guys and sometimes you just right. need explosion and so they're a different breed of like your typical boomer bust receiver. Mm-hmm. Because when you think of boomer bust, you think of like a Mike Williams, you think of a Christian Kirk, you think of a guy who relies on deep downfield passes um, in order to give you, you know, fantasy production, aka Brandon Cooks. But the one thing I do like about those guys who are versatile that can also catch, but not, or I'm sorry, that can not only catch, but they can also run. So we're talking Rondale Moore, we're talking Curtis Samuel, we're talking Calvin Austin is the fact that they get touches. And in fantasy football, we're fighting for touches, right? Like, that's the whole game with tight ends, is you're fighting for tight ends who get receptions and targets. You're fighting for receivers who get receptions and targets. You're fighting for running backs who get touches no matter how they come, right? Which is why Kyron Williams is the guy to look out for. But when it comes to Curtis Samuel and that offense, I mean, this is an Eric Bieniemy offense, and right. this Eric Bieniemy offense has historically utilized Tyreek Hill it has historically utilized guys like Kadarius Tony. 
it has found ways to use those versatile receivers who can run and catch in a myriad of ways. And I like Curtis Samuel. Shit, I like Logan Thomas in this offense, Dugo. Logan Thomas, I mean, you talk about the Eric Bieniemy offense that utilized Travis Kelsey for however many years. Bro, Logan Thomas is stepping into somewhat of a Travis Kelsey role. He led the team in, I think, receiving yards. Thomas, I mean, when you're just bringing up those facts, I mean, one person that comes to mind for me who, you know, I would hope would have some sort of breakout would be Antonio Gibson. I mean, the sheer fact that he was, you know, utilized as a receiver running back throughout all those years at Memphis and then comes back to, or, you know, comes to the NFL as primarily a running back. You'd think that Eric Bieniemy of all people, would be able to utilize that skill set, but... Mm-hmm. The sheer fact that Chris Samuel right now is, I, I, at least from my knowledge, the only one who's being utilized in such way. I mean, like it just makes me think about all the possibilities, all those times that I'm not saying this guy is Jerick McKinnon by any means, but all those times that Jerick McKinnon was able to get all those cheap ass touchdowns. Yeah, like I just feel like this guy has almost that possibility, and the sheer fact that you know at some point if a Gibson or you know, uh, Brian Robinson's out and they need a third back and Ches Robinson's not the guy for the formation. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Curtis Samuel could be. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're in, like, a some sort of passing role or you're in some sort of passing set and you need just some guy to fill that role in the backfield, mm-hmm. why not Curtis Samuel? Obviously, it's not going to be the most appealing route, but obviously you're able to make a lot of people miss in space with Curtis Samuel. If you have a hundred dollars fab and your league plays with a hundred dollars fab for each team, yep. how many dollars are you willing to spend on a Curtis Samuel or like a Calvin Austin? So I can't really say I'm able to put much into a Calvin Austin at this point just because even with Deontay out with the hamstring injury. <laughs> I feel like I saw too much Allen Robinson play. I saw too much Allen Robinson play and I just feel like that's too much of what I feel like Deontay Johnson can do. Just because, at least to me, I just feel like at the end of the day, Pickens is the one. I feel like Deontay is the two. And so thinking that Allen Robinson is going to be going from the three to the two, and you bring Calvin Austin in who's, I don't want to, you know, be that guy or anything, but you're going from a guy who's 6'3 to a guy who's 5'7". I just feel like that slot's going to be a little bit more empty. Mm-hmm. So that's just the way I feel that. And so I feel like, if anything, I feel like Pat Firemuth might be able to get a little bit more action in doing so. Okay. Nonetheless, though, I mean, just after, if you ask me, a terrific week one performance after everything considered, mm-hmm. are you rating Michael Thomas? Michael Thomas is interesting uh, because he's obviously a guy who has perennially missed a lot of football games. But I really do believe in this Derek Carr-led Saints offense because I think that Derek Carr can be trusted with the ball. And I, honest to God, think that Derek Carr is the best quarterback Michael Thomas has had since Drew Brees. So when I look at Michael Thomas's performance on Sunday, I mean, he saw an 80% snap share. He only finished his wide receiver 38 in fantasy football, which isn't great. But what's healthy and what's great is that he saw eight targets and he caught five of those targets. 
for 61 yards. So yeah. MT, you know what I'm saying, is catching uh, catches and he's averaging 12.2 yards per catch. So, like, he's getting downfield. Yeah. He's showing that he's healthy. And Michael Thomas in week one has historically, you know, done what he needs to do. But it's towards the end of September, beginning of October, that we typically will have those important questions about Michael Thomas and what his availability is going to look like. Now, I like Derek Carr a lot this season. I think that he's a sleeper quarterback that you guys need to have on your bench if you don't already. He was someone I hyped up in the offseason a little bit. But I like Michael Thomas, and I like Michael Thomas going into week two against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so we just got word that J.C. Horn, the DB1 in Carolina, I think first-round draft pick, yep. will be missing the next few weeks. And Michael Thomas, who perennially fit, fills that X role on the Saints offense, he might eat, man. He might be playing a DB2 or a backup cornerback, right? It, it's more likely the, the Panthers go out there and play a backup cornerback at the X position so they can keep the defense consistent. And if that's the case, bro, like if Michael Thomas went out there and got eight targets last week, I'm pretty confident he could see another eight targets this week. That's That's and so moving forward, if Michael Thomas is healthy, dude, like he's a pretty solid wide receiver three for you with upside if he gets that touchdown, which I think it's only been one week, but I think he's good for maybe six, seven, eight touchdowns this year. Healthy. I mean, obviously you you didn't bring that up, but I feel like you've been alluding to that the whole time. And I mean, if he's healthy. Thomas. Mm-hmm. And that's what it'll you know, obviously come down to. He's a strong fucking wide receiver three if he's healthy, though, Dugo. So if he's able to keep up putting, you know, I think he got 8.6 if you're in uh, half PPR league this week. So mm-hmm. if you're in full PPR, you're probably looking closer to 10. If not, probably closer to 5, which you're probably not happy about. But nonetheless, dude, like, I feel like Michael Thomas is that guy that once he is able to start getting fully implemented into the system, once he's able to earn everyone's trust, get those red zone uh, targets, and you know start making those touchdowns that we're accustomed to, I I don't see why not this guy can't be a wide receiver three. You know I feel like he could be a definite flex spot for people. That's what I'm saying. And you know what? Let's kind of progress out of free agents. So we yeah. talked about a lot of guys. Some additional names I want to mention just while we're here, so I can say I told you so. Joshua Kelly running back for the Chargers. He saw 16 carries. He has standalone value some weeks. If Austin Eckler does have an ankle injury, Joshua Kelly might boost into RB2 status. Uh, Durham Smythe, Miami's tight end, played 100% of the snaps in the game in which Tua threw for over 400 yards. Tight ends are hard to come across. If you have Fab, I'm cool spending up to 15% Fab to go get this guy. Yeah. Just because I would say I'm the tight end expert between the two of us. If you have fab, if you have fab and you're not throw a couple bucks at some people, I would definitely recommend throwing some at Hunter Henry. Like that. Tight end for the Patriots. And Hayden Hurst, who I had brought up last episode, tight end for the Panthers. This guy got Bryce Young's first touchdown, tight end. He's gonna be a safety nut all of the season for this guy. Mm-hmm. Get this guy now. He's probably gonna end up getting touch t- ten touchdowns. I thought. How do you feel about Mac Jones? I like Mac Jones. Throwing for like fifty times. Fifty four I mean, times in the rain. Comes down to a point of where, if you look at that whole game, you know, like just in a hole, the Eagles got up 
pretty bad. They were up 16. So the Patriots had no chance other than to come back with a fear-seeing fight through the air. They tried. And they did get really close. So I would say that I wouldn't expect Mac Jones to throw for 54 times every game. But I definitely would see an uptick in that percentage. And one thing I would do as well is have some faith in this motherfucker. Yeah, I think Juju and Devontae Parker got paid big money. Um, And so I think that offense, finally Bill Belichick might be in his last year as the Patriots head coach. We don't know. I doubt it. But he's probably going to go ahead and make it a thing in which, you know what I'm saying, like those receivers earn their paychecks. They earn their uh, They earn their paydays. Uh, but moving into trade targets, we do have some guys who disappointed this week, and they might be potential buy low opportunities. We talked about Michael Thomas and how he had eight targets, five receptions, and he might be an interesting guy to target. Uh, but what about Drake London, who went out there and he shot the bed? Dude, I'm not a guy at all. I I need to make this apparent, obviously. Okay. I don't like this guy as a fucking fantasy football target. I'm with you. I agree 100%. I fucking don't like Drake London in fantasy football. We've been telling you to stay away from Drake London for two years now. It's been two years. I tell you that you need to be a perennial receiver. And above that, and above that, the guy never showed you that he's able to go out into the NFL and get you those sick-ass touchdowns that an actual receiver can do. He did that against Pac-12 or Pac-12 DBs, who are typically about like five nine, and the guy's six three. So he initially has six inches at least on these guys. I just don't think. <laughs> okay, <All right>. keep <laughs> on, keep All going. Right. <laughs> so this guy has a cats, and at the end of the day, like, sure, a lot of guys are going to be at a disadvantage in college, yo, and yo. so. Obviously, that's going to be up a little bit once you get into the NFL or at least into the NFL draft. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a breakdown of what I've seen from Drake London the past year and 116th or 117th. What have you seen? I guess. Not shit. Not Just great. A bunch of- so in Arthur Smith's offense, I mean, when it comes to wide receivers, you like to see speed and separation. Arthur Smith runs a smash mouth, run first offense. So the goal is to run hard first so you can pass easier later. Now, Matt Collins was a free agent wide receiver they picked up. Matt Collins, if you didn't know, is a flyer. He's yeah. a deep threat. When the defense puts aid in the box, he's great off the line of scrimmage, and he flies past man coverage to create easier completions downfield drake london named mac collins fast though you know he has some agility quote-unquote for his size which is you know for his size means that he has the average agility of an average nfl wide receiver but in week one arthur smith ran the ball nearly 60 percent of the time his game plan incorporated less than five pass attempts per quarter yep so for arthur smith those pass attempts are sacred and they need to be easy completions sean robinson is in the backroom so is my real concern they went to my like they went to a bunch of guys who created separation easy 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 completions that P. John robinson if you weren't able to see on his first touchdown of his nfl career he didn't necessarily make separation at the start of the catch 
But it's what he's able to do when he has the ball in his hands, is which is extremely impressive, mm-hmm. which is create separation with his own feet. Yep. Bijan saw six targets, and he caught all six for uh, six receptions and 27 yards. I think at the end of the game, Desmond Ritter ended the game with about 18 pass completions. Or no, Desmond Ritter had 18 pass attempts with 15 completions and four quarters of football. See, a third of those targets... He saw nearly 40% of those targets. Close to 50% of those completions. Or, yeah, 33% of the targets, but he saw, yeah, nearly 40% of the completions. And so, so, I mean... Can't really buy Bijan. You can't really buy no, him. No, no, no. You can buy Bijan. You can buy Bijan 100%. Uh, Bijan was a first round draft pick naturally, but I mean, you can go out there and you can offer whoever your first round draft pick was, plus maybe your third, fourth or fifth round draft pick to maybe go and see if you can land a B like every player. Is viable. Every, every player is viable. You're not wrong. Every person is viable. Every person fancy football. What price are you willing to give up for that player though? So I'm Okay. Team, and if someone's trying to give up Bijan, they're gonna want a lot. Totally. Because he gets three percent of their targets, and he also gets rushing attempts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. I think there's a lot of people out there right now that would be willing to give up Bijan for less than damn near Christian McCaffrey, and I think Christian McCaffrey is the cream of the crop, and so with that. Like, I just feel like if you start throwing out, like... I disagree. Uh, Jamar Chases, and you also throw in, like, an Aaron Jones, I feel like that gets ridiculous. I disagree. What uh, do you mean? Because Tyler Algier came in there and actually had a better fantasy performance than Bijan did with two touchdowns. Uh, Tyler Algier had 15 rush attempts, which is a lot of rush attempts for a 75 yards. He averaged five yards per carry, and he had two touchdowns with three receptions on top of that. So you could... Offer the Bijan owner a decent package. Let's say your first round pick was uh, Stefan Diggs. You can offer Stefan Diggs for Bijan Robinson, and I think that goes through. You, you, I think that's really fair. Think so. I think that's fair. I think they finish around the same spot, respectively, for their respective positions. But if you really need a running back and that serves your team better, then hey, you're in the clear. But I think because of Tyler Algier's involvement in week one, those Bijan holders aren't as confident as they might be, let's say, when it gets to November, December, they're playing outside, and uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, Bijan is being Bijan, and he's cooking, and he's getting 20-plus, you know, touches and attempts. Because I feel like just at the end of the year, when you're really grueling for those touches and everything, I just feel like the running back would be the guy who's able to get you more touches than mm-hmm. not. I like running backs in the Arthur Smith offense, so. But and here's the thing, because I don't, I don't want to completely leave this, but we were talking about Drake London, right, and we right. were we were talking about like his effectiveness, and my main thing about Drake London, just bringing it back quick, is that his superpower was contested catches. Okay. And in an offense in which Arthur Smith values the football and he values running out the clock 
contested catches don't fit within that formula. And so Drake London just isn't going to see those targets that y'all are hoping that he sees. And because they spent top 10 draft cap and they probably won't get the same back end return for a trade. Nope. He's probably stuck there for the next couple of years, guys. Nope. And so you're really banking on Drake London. You're, you're banking on a Kyle Pitts injury. Uh, you're banking on injuries like to other guys in order for Drake London to really pop out and show you what he can do. But guys like Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson from last year's rookie receiver draft are, like, I, I respect those guys, and they're worth so much more than Drake London moving forward, for me at least. No, say that I'm the same boat as you, Jahaya. Yeah. But one thing I do need a little bit of ease on my nerves. Okay. Tell me about this Bengals offense and why they're going to be better this next week. I played in the rain. They played in the equivalent of what San Francisco and Chicago played in week one of 2022 when they they played in that monsoon. Where Justin Fields Fields ended up, you know, winning the game, but that's with his legs. And Joe Burrow coming off a calf injury does not have the legs that Justin Fields does. And so this offense, which is a pass-heavy offense, Joe Mixon is kind of at the end of his days. Like, I just don't think they were ready for the Cleveland Browns who have maybe the second or third best offensive line in football. They have the second or third best running back in football in Nick Chubb, and they have a Russian quarterback in Deshaun Watson. I would say probably top 10 defense, at least in my Great opinion. defense with Miles Garrett. Like, they were, they are custom made for dirty, nasty games. Right. And they're going to be a team that's going to be hard to beat when it gets to November, December. Find it easy though. If I'm a Jamar Chase owner, if I'm a Joe Burrow owner, if I'm a you know T Higgins owner, obviously this was a terrible week. T Higgins ended up putting an absolute zero on the board for me. Mm-hmm. How can I expect these people to do better for my team in these upcoming weeks? You got one bad game from T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, but you have a career of great games from T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Uh, T. Higgins saw eight targets and Jamar Chase saw nine targets. T. Higgins went 0 for 8, which is pretty bad. Like, I can't I can't front. That's crazy. That's pretty bad. Jamar Chase caught five of nine targets. Brother, it was just raining really fucking hard. The ball was coming out wet. That is not going to be a regular occurrence. And if the Jamar Chase owner or the Joe Burrow owner is willing to sell because it's week one and they're panicking, go buy. What What do you think is reasonable? For Jamar Chase? Dude, I think Jamar Chase has top five receiver upside. And so if the guy who has Jamar Chase that drafted him in the first round is freaking the fuck out already. So if they, this would be a reasonable trade, but like if they threw you like a Brandon Ayuk, are you just snagging on that right away? I would take Jamar Chase for Brandon Ayuk 100%. Yeah, if well, you have Brandon Ayuk and you're willing to go ahead and trade him for Jamar Chase, I think that's a great trade. I like Brandon Ayuk, Dugo. And I, I think mean, I think Brandon Ayuk's a dog. Season and you believe that he's going to have an upset. He's going to have a fucking year, dude. They proved that. But yeah. At the end of the year, I just do feel like when you talk about volume, when you talk mm-hmm. about touchdowns, yep. I'm going to doubt if Jamar Chase does go above and beyond what Ayuk does, just because yep. I mean, volume standpoint. Yep, hundred percent. I think Jamar Chase seeing nine targets in a fucking rainstorm 
Like he's going to see more targets than Brandon Ayuk because Ayuk has to compete with Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. Yeah. Great running back, but it's no Christian McCaffrey. It's not the no. fucking 49ers offensive line. Uh, Christian McCaffrey will receive more targets than Joe Mixon. Debo Samuel will. Uh, I think T. Higgins actually could potentially. Wait, wait, let me ask. Debo Samuel, what's up? Sees more targets at the end of the year, passing targets. T. Higgins or Christian McCaffrey? That's tough. I mean, obviously, that's not very relevant because you're not going to be trading for either or. You can't trade that's one for the other. That's not a one other. for one trade. Right. Yeah. But just, like, how do you see the season going out for both of those guys? Because I could definitely see McCaffrey being a huge part of this offense going forward, especially once it gets into the colder months and everything. T. Higgins. I, I, I think T. Higgins out targets Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Possibilities of what those would be at? So last year, Christian McCaffrey only played half the season with the Niners. Uh, right. But last year, Christian McCaffrey had 85, or I'm sorry, he had 108 targets. Yeah. Uh, I want to say last year, T. Higgins um, had, well, I'm looking at it now. He had 110 targets. Okay. A couple more. Okay. It's, it's actually pretty close. Christian McCaffrey is so much better than of a pass catcher than people give him credit for. Yeah. Uh Christian McCaffrey saw five targets in game one. Now in Carolina he saw a lot more targets because he was competing with Terrace Marshall and DJ like Moore. DJ yeah. Moore and like uh who was the guy? Like Shia Smith at tight end. Yeah. Can't think. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have an yeah. offense full of all pro and Ian like Thomas, pro bowl think, pass right? catchers. Yeah, exactly. Ian Thomas, right? Yeah. So, like, he saw five targets in game one. You could extrapolate that over a 17-game season, and my guy might see, I don't know, like 85, 85 to 100 targets. But I think T. Higgins, if, if he continues to game, average, if T. Higgins continues to average eight targets a game, which he got week one, right, then extrapolating that over the season, he's seeing, you know what I'm saying, like 120, 130, 140 targets. Yeah, it's just coming into fruition at that point. I just, it's so crazy in my mind. I mean, right now as a T. Higgins owner, I don't want to say I'm in panic mode or anything. I mean, obviously it was a crazy-ass game. Don't be. But it's like, dog, like, how the fuck do you go eight targets without catching one of those passes? And I know, I watched the game. It wasn't all on T. It wasn't all on Joe. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, it has to be on one of those guys. Do you worry about George Pickens? I honestly don't. I think that at this point, if they go another season with this off, if they go through the season with this offensive coordinator, if he even makes it, I don't think he does. I think that they're going to go with someone who's a lot more explosive because that's what it looks like this team needs because it just looks like they're going in slow motion. It just seems like it's just the same consistent old offense that we've been watching from the 1940s. Yep. And so I just feel like that's like he's calm, familiar, collected, et cetera, et cetera. But the sheer fact that you just can't get the ball rolling is just crazy to me. 
And the sheer fact that you were rolling with negative one yards going into the second half, I'm pretty sure. Like, to to me, the, the Steelers are in fucking shambles. They need to go out and they need to move the fucking ball. Yeah, it was pretty wet, kind of like it was in Cleveland or whatever. But nonetheless, dude, like, it doesn't matter. You have to go out and you have to move the fucking ball. Pickett had 46 pass attempts in week one against the Niners. Are you confident? Can you pick it? Yeah. I'm confident in him, but I'm not confident in the person who controls the offense. Like, here's my issue with the Steelers. They have a bunch of pass catchers in Deontay Johnston, (laughs) Pat Fryermuth, Allen Robinson, Najee Harris. Like, these are a bunch of slower guys. Like, where they catch the ball is where they stop. They're not yet guys like the Niners have with George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, probably go, you know, yards after catch. I mean, the maybe probably... maybe Pickens or Calvin Austin, <laughs> Jalen Warren too. Could get some. I mean, it depends on the catch for him. Like if you get him on a slant, he's going to be running already. These guys, but are... like that, then yeah, it's going to be a possession target. But still, I feel like Deontay Johnson has. A little bit of get up to get you a few yards after the catch, though. I mean, he's a pro wide receiver, Jahia. Dude, Allen Robinson, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, even like Deontay Johnson is cool. Like, he's a cool receiver, but like, none of these guys are yak monsters. Like, they don't create a ton of yards after they catch the ball. They kind of get tackled and they go down where they catch. Yeah. It. So, yeah, they are. That, that's what hurts Kenny Pickett because Brock Purdy throws to Debo Samuel and Debo Samuel turns a fucking screen pass into a 60-yard touchdown. Sure. George Kittle catches a 10-yard curl route, and he turns that into 15 additional yards. Christian McCaffrey catches the ball out of the backfield and runs it up the field 10 to 15 yards. Kenny Pickett throws the ball to fucking Allen Robinson, and Allen Robinson maybe gets you five yards before he's tackled because he's slow as shit. Right. Deontay Johnson catches maybe a sideline toe-tap type of catch, but he goes out of bounds immediately after. Uh, Najee Harris is a big bulkier back. He's like, uh, he's like a bus, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, he catches the ball and he gets you maybe a few yards after if he gets to you any yak, it's because he trucks someone, but that truck only happens once a game, maybe. So like Kenny Pickett doesn't have the benefit of getting yards after the catch the way most quarterbacks do, because these like receiving options just aren't that versatile and athletic. Well, I'd say that they're versatile and athletic. I, I wouldn't give that past them. I mean, I would say that there's definitely a reason why they made it to the NFL and everything, and yeah. They're good athletes. There's, I mean, some sort of pinch of where they're lacking some sort of, like, top-speed athletes and stuff like that. You're not wrong. But at the end of the day, to say that those athletes aren't, those athletes aren't able to go out and get some yards after the catch, I think that's almost laughable. So, I mean, if you ask me, I feel like George Pickens, he can go out and do it because he's strong enough to break a tackle. Same with Deontay Johnson. I mean, obviously, he didn't get a touchdown last year, but, I mean, at the end of the day, he's able to break some touches or break some tackles and get some yak for you. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I might sixth standpoint, which is not fucking usually fair for me because I'm usually pessimistic with these guys. Blah, blah, blah. But I, at least for the Steelers, I mean, they played a very stellar defense this past week. And, I mean, 
it's one of those things to where a lot of it might have been a lot of nerves. A lot of it might have been Kenny Pickett realizing he's facing a top two defense of possibly all time and just having to deal with that by itself. Sure, it wasn't the best week for the Steelers at all. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm a Steelers stock owner at all, if I have Pickens, if I have Deontay Johnson, even with the injury, if I have Calvin Austin somehow, if I have Pat Fryermuth, who I actually do, I'm keeping these guys on my roster just because, yeah, this wasn't a great week, but this is probably going to be the hardest defense that they play the rest of the year. I agree with you. And quick, uh, quickly, too, I want to talk about Jalen Waddle, uh, the Miami wide receiver. Oh, dang. Speaking of yak. So Tua completed 28 passes for 466 yards with three touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Jalen Waddle, though, only caught, I think, four catches. Six targets on five targets, five targets, four catches, 78 yards, no touchdowns. So the like the yardage is great. My guy averaged nearly 20 yards a catch. But I think an issue with Jalen Waddle with Tyreek Hill entering the situation has always been the volume. So, you know, you look at Jalen Waddle last year in which he finished as wide receiver eight. And he saw 75 catches, but had 1,300 plus yards. Yep. The year before that, he finished as wide receiver 13 with 104 catches. So we're talking, you know what I'm saying, like 29 more catches than the 75 he got in 2022. But he only finished with 1,000 yards. Right. Now, coming into the season, I projected him to finish kind of in between 2021 and 2022. So somewhere between 75 and 104 catches and somewhere between 1,000 yards and, you know, 1,300 yards. Four catches, 78 yards to start the season. I guess, what are your projections for Jalen Waddle moving forward? Do you think he has that top 10 potential this year? I mean, I think we kind of uh, are alluding to that coming into the season, especially, you know, if we're saying that uh, Tua was healthy, throwing for 400-plus yards like he had just done. Mm-hmm. And I still think that we might be on the same target for that, if I'm not going to be wrong. Can I ask you a question? Is this real quick before? Okay. Yeah. So, Jay Waddle also finished the first game of the season last year with five targets. Unfortunately, he also only had four receptions compared to five receptions. Identical. But he had ended that game with 13 points compared to, I think, like the eight or whatever. Compared to the next game where he went against the number 18 ranked defense in the Baltimore Ravens, and he ended up putting up 19 targets for 29 points. 19 targets? For 29 plus points. And I believe that's fucking an, crazy. That's no <laughs> insane. And I think, 19 targets is just. <laughs> defense in the New England Patriots, who it's a division game, considering that they're probably going to be keen on the one Tyree kill because you can't let the best target beat you. That's just not the Bill Belichick way. I think that this is just the optimist in me. I'm thinking that Jalen Waddle might see close to 25 targets his next game. 25 targets? Dude, I'm just looking at this the way that I'm looking at it. And I'm sorry, but 
if there's one thing that I understand about understand about Bill and about the Patriots defense, they never let your best target beat you. And so when I'm looking at it from that standpoint, and yeah, that 19 target game was against the Baltimore Ravens last year, but the sheer fact that they're going to have not the greatest defensive backs just because, I mean, if you just look at that defense, it's not the greatest construction right now. I just feel like Jalen Waddle could go through there right now and just pick off target after target. And sure, it might not be 24 targets that I'm projecting right now. It might not be. But the sheer fact that it might be closer to 16, 17, and you can't blink at that, it makes it even that more exciting. If he gets over 20 targets, I'll buy you a bottle of Hennessy. Shake on it. Yeah, yeah. wait, what happens if he doesn't? I'll go fuck All right, cool. Hell yeah. yeah. Free bottle of honey on the boy. If he gets over 20 targets this week. Uh, Jalen Waddle or Calvin Ridley for the rest of the season? Calvin Ridley for the rest of the season. So, if I'm going to bet on my lucky stars and stripes, I'm going to bet Calvin Ridley. Okay. So, excited I was to see him get that first touchdown of the year for the Jaguars. I was so excited for him. Calvin Ridley ended week one with 11 targets, 8 receptions, 101 receiving yards, and 1 touchdown. Averaging 12.6 yards per catch. He came out with the boom this year. He came out with the vengeance. And the scariest thing for those who have to play Calvin Ridley moving forward is that he can boom any week. Yeah. You play in half PPR. He finished with 22 points against the Colts last week. He plays against the Chiefs, which could be a shootout. And my man is on the field for more than 80% of the snap share. So moving forward, Calvin Ridley had an incredible week. I projected him to finish maybe closer to like wide receiver 20 on the season because I thought that Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, Tank Bigsby, all those guys would take touches out of his hands. Zay Jones. He had a great week one. That's only one week. But are you buying high with Calvin Ridley or are you like if you own Calvin Ridley, are you selling or are you keeping? I mean, to make that decision would be tough. If you could trade Calvin Ridley for Jamar Chase, what do you do? I'll sell for Jamar Chase. I'll sell for Jamar Chase. Sure. But at the end of the day, like I wouldn't. I'm trying to think of where my cutoff would be because right now, like, so one thing that I think I can personally go on and recognize, one thing that I laughed at during one of the drafts this year that I don't think I'd probably laugh at again was someone on the wraparound this year or on the turn this year went ahead and took two wide receivers. Mm -hmm. One of those being, I believe, so they were the first overall pick, whatever. And so on their turn, on the, you know, two whatever and the uh, three whatever, they had taken Calvin Ridley with one of them. I thought that was an absolute mistake because I just did not think that Calvin Ridley had that upside to be, you know, a second-round receiver. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, do I think I'm wrong. (laughs) The guy's first game back in 574 days or whatever it is, and then you talk about how great he looked. He did not look slow. He did not look like he was phased at all. He looked like he was back in it. 
for the Falcons, but he did it with his best. Pro- I'm going to say this right now, guys. Okay. I think that Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback that he has played with, and that includes Matt Ryan. 100%. Easy. No doubt. Not even a question. Well, I mean, I feel like with some people, it might be, you know, neck and neck when you look at it from the passing standpoint, but I just need people to understand where I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence at this standpoint. And I just feel like at this at this point, with the amount of weapons that they have to be able to spread out the field the way that they're able to, I just think that Calvin Ridley has so much upside this year. I don't see how you don't try to get this guy in your team. I mean, if you have to sell some motherfucker that you, you know, obviously draft in the second or the third, like, dude, like, I'm contemplating selling like a CD lamp for this guy. Okay. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, there's a lot of guys that I would contemplate trading to try to grab some of this Calvin Ridley stack because when you look at the you know you bring up everything and obviously CD Lamb as well has a lot of great stats to look at CD Lamb had a great game but yeah I just think down the stretch I mean just when you're looking at people who are spreading out the field I I like Calvin Ridley like the ink I like Calvin Ridley too. I like him a little bit more than my projection where I originally had him as basically like a wide receiver, high end wide receiver three if you guys played in Tampa Uh But Calvin Ridley, I think, could finish this year as like a mid range, like wide receiver two. No, I'm not. I think that there's going to be games in which he comes back down to earth. And like Christian Kirk barely had any production this week, he barely had any targets or catches. <laughs> I don't think that continues. Christian Kirk is making fucking fifteen to eighteen million dollars a year. The example that I said with uh for Lamb, for example, right? Okay. So much production this past week, along with uh Michael Gallup. Okay. Do you think that C D Lamb has that same output week after week to be able to put up some decent numbers, or do you think that he's just gonna shit the bet some weeks because oh no, out of nowhere we need to get Brandon Cooks or Michael Gallup? established for some reason rather than our number one i think it's completely different situations uh because i think it's one completely different offenses right sure so they have a mike mccarthy west coast type of offense in which brandon cooks is going to get <laughs> so like brandon cooks isn't going to see the amount of volume that a christian kirk might see because in a west coast offense you're primarily trying to hit your intermediate to short range threats and you're using your deep threat as like a play action call He's the guy who you throw up to after the defense commits to stop in like those intermediate or they end up, they commit to. But no, here's my thing though, because I think um, Brandon Cooks naturally is going to see less targets than like a Christian Kirk. But Brandon Cooks also like contractually, I think he's making maybe six mil this year. I want to say Christian Kirk's making at least ten million more dollars than Brandon Cooks is, and I only bring up the money because sometimes you just need to follow the money. And so, like, they aren't paying this motherfucker $15, $16 million to just go ahead and give him fucking 40, 50 catches this year. Like, it's it's one week. Don't get me wrong. Calvin Ridley's, like, surprised a lot, and he showed out. But this offense has Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, Tank Bigsby, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. Like, th- if the defenses start to focus on Calvin Ridley... Trevor Lawrence isn't going to, like, overly force it. He's just going to pass to the open guy. Right. 
And so, like, this might have been Calvin Ridley's week, but what's to say that next week or the week after isn't Christian Kirk's week? I mean, the only thing that I have to go to back off off that is the sheer fact that I just feel like Doug Peterson loves his wide receiver one. And if you enjoy what Christian Kirk was able to produce last year, I think that you should be able to look at Calvin Ridley and look at him as not necessarily like an exclamation point on what you could produce, but I feel like you can look at Calvin Ridley as something that could be even better than him. Just because I I feel like Calvin's able to do. And I think that that they were able to have Christian Kirk has that – been able to be there for an extra year already. But that connection between Kurt or between Ridley and Lawrence, it just looks special already, dude. Just it just looked good. It looked mm-hmm. like Yeah. That's just why I'm so high on Calvin Ridley and why I think that he does have more than the opportunity to be a top ten wide receiver this year. And I respect that. Quick question for you before we end up this week's episode. Are you that high on Jordan Love, who's currently QB3 in fantasy football? I think that he has some upside for sure, man. I mean, if they're going to continue to keep throwing the ball and be able to continue to control the clock and the offense, time of possession, everything that they're able to do against the Bears, then I think that he has a lot of upside this year. The only thing that happens, though, is once they start getting into a pinch, what's going to happen? Is he's going to start making mistakes? What's going to happen exactly? Because we haven't seen that part of him, really. We've seen a lot of, you know, like, dink downs and stuff like that. But against his Bears defense, it really wasn't a lot of pressure. There wasn't a lot of things that, like, he was, like, you know, like, just absolutely just pressed on. Damn near looks like a training game for him. Dude, and so I'm... all my eggs in this, this guy's basket this year. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But if I, you know, if I need another quarterback in my league, if I have someone coming up on a bye week in like a week five and J Love has a week six bye, sure, I might take him just so I can have someone during my bye week. But at the end of the day, like Let's let's watch and wait what happens with this kid. That's all I'm going to say. What I'll say for Jordan Love is that I actually am buying his performance. He is a strong arm. He's a deep threat. He passes the ball downfield, and he finished as the QB3 in fantasy without Christian Watson, who we all know is an explosive wide receiver. So last week he played the Chicago Bears defense, which you can't give too much credit to. But moving forward, like at least over these next six, seven, eight games, he plays the Falcons defense, the Lions defense, the Raiders, the Broncos, which, you know, the Broncos are, they're cool. Uh, But he has the Vikings defense, uh, the Rams defense without Jalen Ramsey and so forth. The Rams has more targets than what Geno has, or Geno has more targets than what Gabe has. We'll see what happens, but I think Jordan Love, he's somewhat mobile. I think he can move around with his legs. He throws the ball. He makes great decisions. He doesn't really turn the ball over. And uh, moving forward, I mean, he finished last week, week one, with 245 passing yards and three touchdowns, no turnovers. I think he had uh, three rush attempts for 12 yards. 
he finishes QB three in fantasy football. Like, and that's without his number one receiver. I like Jordan Love moving forward, man. I like him at least as a top 12 receiver if you guys play in 12-man leagues, which makes him a QB1. Um, If he's available on waiver wires, I'm spending... If I have a $100 fab budget, I'm spending 20% of that budget to go get Jordan Love if I'm in desperate need of a quarterback. And another guy I also like is Anthony Richardson, uh, who finishes QB5 this week. Dugo, he had a really impressive completion percentage. He's startable for this year, and then he goes on. <laughs> I'm Thankfully, Aaron Rodgers fucking rusts up soon, buddy. He goes out and he unfortunately tears his Achilles. Thank God I didn't start him, but I started Jared Goff, who, I mean, he put up a meaningful 15 for me, but. Hey. Dog, I'll say one thing, though, that I'm absolutely pissed about. I fucking lost my dynasty league by fucking point two three points. All, all I needed was a reception from someone. I just need a reception from someone, dude. I was so upset. I was watching this game too. I was down. What was it? I think it was twenty points going into this game, and I was just like, "Oh shit!" I have James Cook and Greg the Leg. I was like, "Greg Zerline," and I was like, "Oh, this might happen." And then at the end of the game, when the Bills were going down the stretch with that, uh, like it was like that two minute offense or whatever, never saw James Cook out there. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Dude, it's because you started Jared Goff over Anthony Richardson. I know, dude. Hey, maybe some sleepers that you think I should be starting this week. I'll start you out. So I think that some people that could be getting some upticks this week. Damian Pierce going against the Colts. I think that the Colts are a lesser than desirable defense this year. I think that they only got an uptick because of that touchdown that they ended up acquiring at the uh, middle of the game. Mm -hmm. I also think that T. Higgins is going to have a breakout week, especially experiencing zero receptions. Okay. And then, God damn it, dude. You want to know who else I think needs to get their first touchdown of their NFL career? Who? Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Okay. Touchdown this week against the Lions. And let me see if I can find another breakout for y'all before I head out. Okay. If you guys need a spot start on or a spot tight end spot, don't think you guys need it this early, but. The sheer fact that Jake Ferguson had seven targets on this past week, I think he is going to be full throttle into this offense. Expect him to get a touchdown this next week as well. Okay, I like those. And I guess for my sleepers this week, I'm going to go ahead and say A.J. Dillon, uh, running back for the Packers. Aaron Jones might be dealing with somewhat of a hamstring injury. Do not know if Aaron Jones will end up playing this week or if he will be on a snap count. Yes, but it seemed like at the end of the week, if needed, it seems like Jones would have been able to go into that game. So I think, if anything, it might be a snap count. I like AJ Dillon to go ahead and get some goal line touches next week. So yeah, he's I do someone, like that. He's someone I'm looking out for. I like Christian Kirk on the Jags, as we just got done talking about. Uh, the Jags play the Kansas City Chiefs. I expect that to be a, uh offense-riddled game. Hopefully, Travis Kelsey is back. Uh, but in the case that the Jaguars do get behind to the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, I can see Christian Kirk catching a couple of deep passes there. 
And I guess last well, the Jaguars season last year, if I don't remember close games, I would expect the same. And you know, damn, dude, I I expect them. I expect the Jaguars to come out with a vengeance because I believe those were the people who ended their season last year. And Travis Kelsey coming off an injury, I doubt he's a hundred hundred percent. Okay, and then you know what? Uh, let me also go ahead and bank on Gus Edwards after that J.K. Dobbins injury. Uh, Gus Edwards plays the Cincinnati Bengals, who are coming off of a tough loss. We don't know what's going on with Cincinnati, but in the case that they are going through a rough period, uh, let's go ahead and capitalize on the Ravens' offense. Let's capitalize on them getting some red zone opportunities, and let's capitalize on Gus Edwards stepping into that RB1 role and potentially getting some goal line touches. Yep, but that's all I got for you guys this week. Dugo, you got anything else for us? All safe, folks, is just best luck out there. Make sure that you're looking at your spots in the morning. Make sure that you have people who are ready to play. No guys that are, you know, doubtful or anything like that. Make sure you get your stinker tinkers ready in the morning, folks. 